what most people think of when they think about God and their relationship is religion. And religion works backwards. They think if I can just cleanse my hands, if I can just clean myself up and do a little better, I can impress God and then I can have a relationship with God and I can be in his presence. That's religion and that will send you to hell. The gospel is God must purchase me at great cost to himself by his blood. That's the gospel. And that's what everybody does for the rest of their life as a kingdom citizen. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Nearly every major world religion focuses on a person's spiritual efforts, teaching that by good works, spiritual perfection or salvation can be attained. But the Bible teaches that every person is born inherently sinful, unable, even in his best human efforts, to break away from the self-worshipping idolatry that is bound in his heart. As we've just heard from Pastor Trent, it's only by God's grace that we can be redeemed from sin, purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Upon accepting His sacrifice, we receive His forgiveness and are able to worship God with clean hands and a pure heart. Today we'll continue with the message, We Are a Purchased People, as Pastor Trent takes us to Psalm 24 and teaches us what it means to proclaim the excellencies of the King who has redeemed us. Here's Pastor Trent. Mercy is the result of a king going outside the gates of his kingdom and putting his affection and compassion upon people living in a dark kingdom who've actually declared war on the king. And as an act of mercy, he's drawn us to himself. He's opened our eyes. And so we open our eyes so that we can show compassion and mercy on others. It's what we were talking about earlier when we talked about the opportunity to get involved in something like safe families. You're an ambassador of king. Do you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a legal representative of a king who is not present. The scripture calls us ambassadors. And do you know where the ambassador lives? Who knows? Who knows where the ambassador lives when he's in a foreign country? What's it called? The ambassador lives where? In the embassy. Do you know what your home is? Your home is an embassy of heaven. You live in a foreign land. You live in a hostile territory. But God has sent you as an ambassador to live in an embassy to shine the light of mercy on the people around you. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was in Liberia where we've got seven, we've got eight churches now, and uh, we care for those churches as Harvest Granger. And I was uh, spending some time down there, and, and I actually got to visit the American embassy in Liberia. And it, it, do you understand Liberia is like, like the second poorest country on the planet? And unemployment there is like 85%. It's very impoverished. Children just running around everywhere, and most of them don't even have shirts on, and they're running around with no shoes on. And, and um, it's, it's just, it's, it's very dirty. It's very impoverished. A lot of corruption in the government. It doesn't feel very safe, and it's not very clean. And in the midst of that, we've got some 
vertical, spirit-filled, life-giving churches there that are shining a light in that country. And so I had the opportunity to visit the American embassy in Liberia. Honestly, I was not expecting much. I mean, the country doesn't even necessarily have electricity. I'm like, what's the American embassy going to be like in Liberia? Well, we pulled up there. We were met by some wonderful Marines, and they ushered us through the gate. And as soon as I stepped through the gate, it was as if I was back in America. I mean, the lights were bright, and there was American music playing. They ushered us through the the quarters of these men that served over there. They had flat screen TVs, and they were watching ESPN, and uh, they they had refrigerators, and they were eating TV dinners, and, and it was just like, man, we're back in America. That's what an embassy is, is the language that's spoken in your home reflective of the language of heaven? Are the attitudes on display in your home reflective of the attitudes that are right now in heaven? Is the music in your home reflective of the music that's going on right now in heaven? You're an embassy of heaven, placed in a hostile territory, and that's one of the reasons that we've invited you. What, would you like to open your doors to some of the, the natives down here and give them a taste of what it's like in heaven? That's what it means to be a kingdom citizen. That's what it means to make your home an embassy of heaven. I'm an object of God's mercy. I need to be a distributor of God's mercy. And then this, I will proclaim the excellencies of my king. Why? Because I'm a purchased person. That's the reason he's left us here. That's what it says here in verse 9. You are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a wonderful word, isn't it? Excellencies. I mean, we even think of a king that way, don't we? Your excellency. So what I want to do in the second part of this message is just kind of do that. Can I just kind of proclaim the excellencies of the king? Can I stop talking about you for a few minutes? Would that be okay? Well, I like it when you talk. No, we're going to talk about the king for a few minutes, okay? So let's talk about the king and let's answer this question. Who is this king? Now, if we're going to ask that question, why don't we kind of find a place in the Bible that might ask that very same question? So as we search around in our Bibles, do you know what we do? We come over to Psalm 24, and we actually find that question in this psalm. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, a psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Do you know what those first two verses just tell us? That the Lord has made a claim to all the earth. Do you know what that means? The president does not own America. And America doesn't own the world. America and every other country and every other person in the world, according to this verse, belongs to God. There are a lot of people that would like to stake a 
claim on portions of this earth. If you're a landover, a landowner, congratulations. In some sense, you may be some kind of a landowner. Congratulations. But um, the wise landowner understands it all belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and everybody on the earth belongs to God. Those who dwell on it, it all belongs to God. That doesn't mean that every person is a Christian or a kingdom citizen. But there is not one square inch in all the earth where God does not point his finger and says, it belongs to me. It's mine. We should remember that as Americans. It all belongs to God. And whether the borders expand or contract, everything belongs to the Lord. And then look at verses 3 through 6. It actually does talk a little bit more about these kingdom citizens. And it says here in verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Here's the way I want you to read that. That's a good question. But it's a question for every person here. And every person here needs to answer that question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? The way you should ask that is this. Who wants to ascend the hill of the Lord? Who wants to stand in his holy place? Is there anybody here that wants to go on this journey to the place where you are closer to God than you are right now? You know what that tells us? Our relationship with God is one that is constantly moving. It's a journey. It's also an intentional choice. Who wants to go? Who wants to go? It's not a passive thing where you just kind of by osmosis get a little closer to God. Who wants to go on a journey? And it's described as a hill. It's a climb. There is gravitational pull from this world to keep you from taking this journey. When I was a kid, and when you think, I grew up in Oklahoma. When you think of Oklahoma, do you think of mountains? No, there actually is a mountain range right outside of Lawton, Oklahoma, where I grew up. It's the Wichita Mountains. There's a wildlife refuge out there. And the highest peak in the Wichita Mountains is called Mount Scott. It's about 3,600 feet. And it actually takes about three hours to climb it. I've climbed it three times. The problem is you got to climb back down. But um, it, it's kind of a journey. The, the worst part is, is not the climb. It's the 100-degree heat and the rattlesnakes you have to avoid on the journey. Okay? When you think about your relationship with God, you have to understand it is an ascent. It's a climb up a hill, and it requires some effort on your part to keep taking the next step when you're exhausted, when you think you can't go any further, the Lord keeps inviting you. Who wants to come ascend the hill of the Lord? Who wants to come be in his holy place? That's the question I would ask you here this morning. Are you interested in getting any closer to God than you are currently right now? No matter how far you've come already, are you willing to take the next step? Did you stop climbing? Did you just kind of build a base camp years ago? And it's like, no, I think I'm pretty good. I'm as close as God I want to be. God invites you to ascend 
the hill of the Lord. Anybody want to go on that journey? Anybody want to go? Anybody want to go? Now, wait, before you, before you declare, you, you, there are some requirements. And he tells you what they are in verse 4. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So there are a couple of requirements. You have to have clean hands. A couple of weeks ago, my wife Andrea decided, I am going to clean out the flower beds around our house. Now, if you've been to our house, you realize we really don't have flower beds. We just have weed beds that have a couple of flowers in them, okay? And actually what she was going to do, she was going to attack all the weeds. And so she went out there very aggressively and just pulling out everything that wasn't a flower. And about four days later, she noticed there were these big welts on her arm, all of her legs and on her back. It was just taking over her body. And it's like this alien disease. And at first we thought it was poison ivy. How many of you ever had poison ivy? Yeah, it wasn't poison ivy. It was actually something worse. It was called spiny nettle. Doesn't spiny nettle sound worse than poison ivy? Poison ivy sounds bad enough. I don't know what spiny nettles do. Actually, now I do. And I, you probably shouldn't mention the word pus in church, but that's kind of what was leaking out of all of these welts. And it was just awful. It was just, it was just bad, bad. And she had to go to the doctor and get a steroid. And, and it was like, what happened? And apparently these weeds produce an oil. And it just kind of bores into your skin. And it's just awful. And it doesn't come off with soap and water. You have to scrub it with friction, like get some sandpaper and take a couple of layers of skin off, you know, to get this stuff off. Now, what I just described as spiny nettle is the same effect that sin has on a kingdom citizen. You want to go on an ascent... You cannot bring any spiny nettle sin with you. You have to have clean hands. That's outward actions. But a pure heart, that's inward motivations. So let me ask you a question. If what's required to ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in His holy place are clean hands and a pure heart, can I ask you this question? Is anybody in this room qualified to ascend the hill of the Lord. Hold up the universal symbol of the number of people who have clean hands and a pure heart. Not anybody in this room. So how are we going to get up the hill? Let's keep asking that question as we go through the text. Look at verse 5. He, the one who ascends the hill of the Lord, will receive blessing from the Lord. Well, that's what we need. And righteousness from God the God of his salvation, such is the generation who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And so I trust that there's a pure motive in your heart. You want to get to that place. You want to be in the holy presence. You want to, you want to be closer to God than you've ever been. The only problem is you don't have clean hands or a pure heart. So when we read the entirety of the Bible, we understand that before we can actually go on the journey... We actually need what God provides when we get there. Two things. Righteousness, did you see that in the text? And blessing, that's the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God. So when we read the context of the Bible, what we understand is the sequence of the ascent 
works from the bottom up like this. First, we must be a purchased people. Then we're declared righteous before God. Now we can receive a blessing and he can purify our heart, clean our hands. We can ascend the hill of the Lord and we can stand in his holy presence. That's the sequence. What we just saw is the gospel. What most people think of when they think about God and their relationship is religion. And religion works backwards. They think, if I can just cleanse my hands, if I can just clean myself up and do a little better, I can impress God, and then I can have a relationship with God, and I can be in His presence. That's religion, and that will send you to hell. The gospel is, God must purchase me at great cost to Himself by His blood. Then I'm declared righteous. I receive His blessing. Now He can purify my heart, clean my hands. I can ascend the hill, and I can stand in His holy presence. That's the gospel, and that's what everybody does for the rest of their life as a kingdom citizen. So the question remains, who is this king that invites me to ascend his holy hill? He's described as the king of glory, and the first thing we see here is he is the lifter of my head, therefore I will get my eyes on his glory. Look at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? There's the question. The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Verse 9, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. If you are a kingdom citizen, get your head up. As an athlete in high school, as a poor athlete in high school, on a poor team in high school, we had many opportunities to walk off the field of battle in defeat. What's the universal symbol of defeat? Hanging your head. You're a kingdom citizen. What are you doing hanging your head? Your king is victorious in battle. If your head falls when you are watching the news or checking the stock market or looking at your bank account or looking at your grade point average, you need to get your head up and get your eyes on the king. If your head falls, depending on whichever political candidate is in the Oval Office, get your eyes off of the president and get your eyes on the king. You're a kingdom citizen. Your head should be lifted up to this king of glory. He is the lifter of my head. Secondly, he is my mighty defender. I will rely on his power. Look at verse 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Look down at verse 10. It describes him as the Lord of hosts. That word Lord there, if you look in your Bible, you notice all the letters in the word Lord are capitals. That's the way that the English translations alert us to the fact that that word in the Hebrew is actually the formal name of God, Yahweh, which means I am, he is the self-existent one. 
He doesn't derive his power from anyone. It is self-existent in him. He's not dependent upon a president, a nation, or a people. He has all power. He is a mighty warrior. It describes him as the Lord of hosts. Do you see that term in verse 10? That term is used 282 times in the Old Testament. It means he is the commander of an army of angels that fight on his behalf. In verse 8, it says he is strong and mighty in battle, and he is undefeated. And we, as kingdom citizens, will experience every victory as a part of his kingdom. Are you facing any battles in your life right now? You have battles with the flesh. You have battles in your relationships. You have battles even with worry and fear. So we have battles with Krispy Kreme donuts. You lose every time. The good news is this. Our king is mighty in battle. He is strong. There is not a battle that you are fighting that he cannot win. And there is not an issue in our nation that he cannot overcome by his power. You don't fight alone as long as you are fighting on the Lord's side. The question is, whose side are you on? Have you ever been tempted to ask the question, is the Lord on my side? Have you ever prayed, Lord, I need you to get involved in this battle over here? Listen, one day, again, Abraham Lincoln was overhearing a conversation between two of his generals, and one of the guys said, I hope the Lord is on the Union side in the Civil War. President Lincoln spoke up. He said, I am not at all concerned about that. For I know the Lord is always on the side of the right. But it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. Are you on the Lord's side as a kingdom citizen? Who is this king of glory? Here's the last answer. He is near. And he's coming nearer. Therefore, I will open every door of my heart. Look at verse 9. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. We talked about in the first part of this psalm, there's movement of a kingdom citizen up a holy hill. There's also movement in the second part of this psalm as the king comes nearer and nearer and wants to occupy more and more territory. And the picture is that standing between the king and his throne are gates and doors. And apparently the hinges are on the top because it talks about them being lifted up. Not like your front door in your house, but like your garage door. Lift up the doors and lift up the gates that the king of glory may come in. The picture is this, each one of us controls the door and the gate in our heart. The Lord wants to come in. The Lord wants to occupy more territory in your life. The Lord wants to occupy, he wants to rule and to, to reign over more and more of that which is you. And our responsibility is just to simply lift the doors and let him come in. What are the doors and the gates that you've shut to this king of glory? Like, God, you can have that, but not this. 
God, you, you stay out of my finances over here. God, you, you stay out of my Friday and Saturday night. Or is the attitude of your heart, not only do I lift my head, but I lift every gate, I lift every door. I don't want there to be any barrier between the king and his throne in my heart. He is near, and he wants to come even nearer. Will you open the door of your heart? It reminds me of a passage over in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 3. Jesus speaking. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, eat with him, and he with me. The picture of eating with him is just simply having dinner and just enjoying who he is and him enjoying who you are. Not only will he pay for dinner, but he paid for you. You're a purchased people. Are the doors of your heart open to him? Is there any obstacle, any barrier where you are refusing to give access to the king of glory? Listen, if this is new to you, you need to understand there's an initial moment in your life when you allow the king to come in, to rule and to reign in your heart over every area. If that's never happened for you, you've got dirty hands and a polluted heart. And when he comes in, he gets in the process of cleaning that stuff up and purifying your heart. But once you start that journey for each one of us, we continue to take the next step and ascend the hill of the Lord because we want more and more of his holy presence in our lives. Have you stopped that journey? Listen, you're a purchased people. He wants to continue to rule and to reign into every area of your heart. King Jesus, thank you for um, putting your affection on us. Lord, you've pitied us in our sinful condition. All of us, through our ignorance and our pride, our arrogance, we've declared war on you. We wanted to be our own king. We wanted to sit on the throne. We wanted to be our own sovereign. And yet, in spite of that, you've purchased us at great cost to yourself. Thank you for that mercy. God, would you overcome our resistance? And I pray that for every one of us, there would be new doors going up and new gates flying up, welcoming you into every area of our lives. God, would you use us now to shine the light of your kingdom into the kingdoms of this world? I pray for those that maybe have never started that relationship and they're still walking in darkness. And Maybe today is the day that they would see your marvelous light and hear the call out of darkness to become a kingdom citizen. Make that a reality for some here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you made the decision to let God rule and reign in your heart? I hope that you have. And as Pastor Trent urged us today, we simply need to lift open the doors of our heart and invite Christ to come in. We'd like to invite you to one of our weekend worship services, where each week we proclaim the excellencies of King Jesus through unashamed worship and the unapologetic preaching of God's Word. Join us at one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana, or St. Joseph, Michigan. 
For campus locations and service times, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.